I mean, ultimately, when it comes to working with athletes or just working with anybody in period, anybody period, there's an end goal that they want to achieve. Uh, for an athlete, it's it tends to be like. Like let's say if it's summertime or if it's like uh, winter break, we know we have six weeks in order to get these kids stronger and more powerful. So when or stronger, more powerful, and moving better. So when it comes to them going off to college for their spring season, they're primed and yeah, they're ready to go. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and thank you for listening to this episode of the All About Fitness podcast. That voice here in the beginning is a guest for this episode, Coach Bobby Congleton. Before I get into the full introduction for Coach Bobby, if you want to learn how to use exercise to slow down the aging process, Ageless Intensity will be out in August and is now available for pre-sale. If you order it now, it will be shipped directly to your home when it comes out. There's a link down below in the show notes. Now let's get back to the introduction. Bobby and I first met a number of years ago when he was a graduate student at San Diego State University. I used to work out with a mutual friend of ours and Bobby would join us every now and then. And I always enjoyed those workouts because Bobby would literally run me into the ground. I'm about 15 years older than him. Hey, look, I was just happy to keep up with him. Bobby was a very high-performing athlete. And so when we worked out together, it always pushed me to work a little bit harder. In the years I've known Bobby, I've seen him go from a grad student to an intern. And now he's an extremely successful strength coach running a private strength and conditioning studio that is producing phenomenal results. Over the past few episodes, I've been covering creative ways to exercise, different ways of moving and working out. Mike Fitch from Animal Flow talked about the benefits of creative bodyweight workouts. Katie Bowman, who wrote Move Your DNA and Grow Wild, just talked about the benefits of moving and how to add more movement to your day. And I wanted to speak with Bobby because Bobby follows a very creative but scientifically valid and effective method of strength and conditioning, first made famous by Louis Simmons and his elite powerlifting athletes at the Westside Barbell Club in Columbus, Ohio. Louis Simmons created the conjugated method of strength training to help people become stronger and more explosive. The conjugated method alternates between workouts for explosive power and those to develop maximal strength. And you're going to hear Bobby talks about how he uses that with his athletes. And Bobby first started working with high school athletes a number of years ago. And this has been the cool thing. He started working with kids in high school, then he saw them get college scholarships. Then after college, he see them go into the professional leagues. And he now has a number of athletes that are playing at all levels of professional sports. But he started them young. In our conversation today, You'll hear Bobby talk about why and how he uses a conjugated method and what that does for his athletes. And that's what I want you to listen to. If you, if you enjoy exercise, if you enjoy pushing yourself, the conjugated method switches things up. It alternates between heavy lifting and light lifting for explosive movements. But the biggest insight, and this blew me away, you'll hear me kind of pause when Bobby shares this, the biggest insight that you'll hear is how Bobby can tell whether somebody has good athletic ability. And you really want to listen for that. Now, if you want to learn more about exercise and how to design workouts that will work for you and your goals, pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. There's a link down below in the show notes. Or if you go to PeteMcCallFitness.com, that's my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com, if you sign up for the mailing list, I will send you a chapter and a workout from Smarter Workouts so you can try it before you buy it. Just a little heads up. 
We recorded this conversation at a studio, so there's a little bit of background noise, but it gives you an idea into what goes into developing elite athletes. Now let's learn about the benefits of the conjugated method of strength training with Coach Bobby Congleton from 1RM Performance here in San Diego, California. Here today with Bobby Congleton. Let me actually let me say Coach Bobby uh, Congleton. Yeah, Coach, Coach. Because I always think of you as just as Bobby, but I got to. Re- we're in your dojo, <laughs> yeah. so you're Coach. You're Coach. But how do you doing, Coach? I'm good, man. How about you? I'm glad we're finally doing this. We were supposed to do this a long while ago, but COVID and other stuff have life gotten in the way. So let me ask you this, Bobby. I'm gonna go straight into it. Oh, uh, here we go. You've been working with athletes for a number of years, and you started. You did something I think was very brilliant. You started working with high school kids and have developed them, seen them develop. How many kids have you worked with that are now playing professional sports? Uh, from the, I think the, there are a couple kids, I think uh, probably like 15 to 20 kids that I've seen from the time that they're in high school to now playing a professional sport. And like what level? Like what level is professional? Uh, I've seen some kids that are now like everyday starters in the big leagues, uh, guys that are playing minor league baseball and independent level baseball. Okay, so you do work primarily with baseball. Yeah, a ton of baseball, but we've worked with a couple guys that play in the NFL, some high-level beach volleyball guys, and uh, a couple, uh, actually, a couple like international rugby guys. Okay, and then that was that your goal when you started this? No, not in the slightest. Uh, when I was in grad school at San Diego State, my goal was to be like a renowned like overhead like athlete specialist, uh, and then just kind of turned into one of those things where now I'm working with pro athletes. But my goal was to just like help whoever was in front of me become a better athlete. And then, yeah, you do a good job with the person that's in front of you, and eventually bigger things kind of grow from there. And what got you interested in strength and conditioning in the first place? Uh, growing up in New Jersey, uh, New Jersey, you obviously, you freshman in high school, if you're playing football, you're lifting. Uh, and the gym culture back east is very different than out here. Uh, so I've just been in love with lifting since I was a little kid. And, yeah, it's just always been something I've wanted to do. And why why'd you pick San Diego State? What was, what was it that drew you from... Because there are great schools out on the East Coast, oh, great totally. SNC schools out on the East Coast. But what brought you out to San Diego State? Uh, contrary to popular belief, it wasn't the weather. It was actually a, a dual master's in nutrition and exercise physiology. Like at the time, it was San Diego State or UNLV. They were the only graduate programs that had that were offering the dual masters. Uh, so it was yeah, I'd rather be in San Diego than Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, but I also got into South Carolina, which was like a which would have been a cool opportunity because I still had a year of eligibility eligibility to throw javelin so I could have thrown jab at South Carolina while in grad school but the better education choice was yeah, San Diego State that's right did you throw javelin in college yeah I was uh, at Sacred Heart University okay yeah. how'd you at what would you make any nationals I mean how no was- I wish uh yeah just a whole boatload of potential that I feel like I was never able to tap into uh but yeah fun career throwing at a D1 school and was able to score like points at our conference meet year in year out but it was yeah I never got to compete at that national level but is that what got you interested in overhead sports like overhead oh motions? yeah it was like a, a smooth transition like as a javelin thrower your goal is to throw a spear as far as possible uh so all of your training is based on that uh yeah so it was just I had Tommy John surgery when I was 19 so my experiences kind of just yeah led me into yeah, into that world and how much how much of throwing comes from the lower body because I think this is what I, so what I want to talk about is kind of connecting the whole body, right? Oh, yeah, Cause, totally. Because a lot of people really look at, at exercise as a functional muscle versus muscle, like chest or back. Yeah, no, But, but if all. you're throwing, how much, how much, because I think people would think, well, a pitcher threw his shoulder out. 
when we look at throwing, how much of throwing involves the lower body and involves the entire body? Yeah, I think when it comes to uh, like guys that are able to, like I've been, first of all, I've been lucky enough to work with some super high level throwing athletes, uh, guys that have thrown as hard as 103 miles an hour and guys that throw 63. Uh, for anybody that wants to become a high throwing athlete or high velocity guy, it's, it's all about the amount of speed that you can create within your body. Uh, speed obviously comes, initiates through your lower half and then translates to the hand, to the ball from there. Uh, but yeah, the more speed you can generate with your lower half, the, the higher the speed you can generate at your hand. And obviously within that, there's uh, the whole length criteria. So being just fast with your lower half isn't going to be enough to get you to throw hard. You have to be able to create the length and separation in order to have a longer whip. So when it comes to thinking about like how you actually generate powers, force velocity and the distance over time is a big part of that component. So the greater the length of the whip you can create and the faster you can get through that, then yeah. So it's all lower half, upper half, and it's, yeah, no one throws out their shoulder by just doing shoulder stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a factor of everything else. Interesting. And with, with that, I mean, because that's where I think people get, they, they watch sports, right? And they think, oh, that looks easy. No. Yeah. <laughs> but how much, I mean, when you, if you're looking at, say somebody, you're working with a guy who throws in the major leagues. Yeah. What's the main consideration for them? Is it is it strength? Is it power? Is it endurance for what? Because what Major League Baseball is what 160 games. Yeah, 162 a year? games. 162 games. So what what is and goes through your mind if you're looking at somebody who might be 18, 19 years old, and they say my goal, and they're legitimate, they have a legitimate shot yeah. of going to get a scholarship. They'd probably be 17, 18, but they're 17, 18. They're coming to you, and they have a legitimate job, shot of getting a scholarship. And from there, they have a legitimate shot of, of going to play at the, at the top level. Like, what what goes to your mind? Is it strength? Is it power? Is it endurance? Yeah, so it's uh, it's kind of, like, all-encompassing. Uh, it all depends, like, where the athlete is, like, at that current level or at that current moment. Like, what's their training history like? Are they relatively strong? Are they really powerful kids? Uh, so, for me, we look at, like, vertical, broad jump, 10-yard uh, sprint time, and those three are good insight as to like the amount of speed or their rate of force production or how fast they can, yeah, their, their power output. Uh, so those three factors based on that, it, it kind of gives me insight as to how they're throwing as hard as they are. So if a kid comes in, he's throwing like 90 miles an hour, but his lower body power is terrible, that lets me know he's either like untrained or he just creates a lot of length. So for that kid, we would if he's already relatively strong, we would kind of work more like the speed side of the equation there so we can get his, his body expressing speed faster. Uh, but yeah, a lot of it just depends on yeah, the current status of the athlete. And I know that's hard to... The funny thing is, Bobby... Yeah, there's so many factors uh, well, that go I, into it. Wait, yeah. But I was going to say, cause, and listeners are used to me saying this at some point during an interview, because if I talk to like Stu McGill or Brad Schoenfeld, you know, these are guys that have the PhDs. Yeah. They don't give a definitive answer. Because, no, there's no definitive answer. Yeah, because they don't yeah, know. No, it's impossible. You can take the evidence. They know the evidence, yeah. but every individual, I mean, because in your experience, totally. every individual kid, every individual athlete is different, right? Oh, yeah. There's a, the one non-negotiable when it comes to being an elite level athlete is uh, they can all dance. So obviously like rhythm and having like body control is a big part of it. And they're lower. They're, wait, 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 wait. You, you mean all? They can all like literally like if music's on, they could dance. Phenomenal and dancers. Like, uh, like I went to Kevin Newman, who's uh, starting shorts up for the Pirates. Uh, I was at his wedding three years ago, and I mean, you would see six foot eight like POs that were just absolutely tearing up the dance floor. And I'm not a great dancer. I'm not a terrible dancer. I'm somewhere in the middle. But I felt like I was, yeah, the worst dancer in the world. Like 
I, I, I never thought I never thought of that as a metric for for somebody who could play it. But I think you're oh, right. Totally. I, I yeah. think I because I'm I'm just thinking back of years of watching sports. I mean, what, even Dancing with the Stars. Oh, totally. They're all phenomenal dancers. You know my ex-wife, Monica, right? Yeah, of she, We were watching, it was the season that Emmett Smith was on, and she asked me, was Emmett Smith a good football player? Yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah. Of course. yeah. And, and she knows nothing about football, but because he could really, because he could, I never thought about that. Yeah. Yep. So has totally. that been your observation? Oh, well, yeah. I, I mean, day one, a kid comes in, and it's like, well, you can kind of see by how they go through like a dynamic warm-up, their skips and things like that, if they do or don't have rhythm. Uh, but yeah, I've never met a... Like a high level, I'm saying like independent, like anywhere in like the minor leagues or a pro guy that can't dance. Like and I've never met one. So now they, they cranked up the, the music just a little bit now oh, yeah. in the background. So if you hear that noise, we're, we're at Bobby's. Uh, we're at Bobby's uh, studio here, and he has music going on oh, all yeah. the time. But I never thought. Yeah, I'm just sorry. Oh, I'm just totally, stuck on yeah, that. No, yeah, minute. you're good, man. Now, now with this, the one thing I think is fascinating, Bobby, and this isn't a function of your age. But how important is strength and conditioning to anybody who wants to be a good athlete now? Oh, I think uh, it's uh, the one thing that can absolutely change an athlete's current profile. Like, it can take a kid that's a below-average athlete and have him accomplish things that he never thought he'd be able to accomplish. So I think it's, like, the one factor that's, that can have the biggest impact on an athlete's actual career. Because the reason why I asked it that way is back in the 70s, professional athletes didn't lift weights. Back in the 70s and 80s, professional athletes did not lift weights. Yeah. They were told that lifting weights would actually make them less less athletic. You know, and I just think that's I think we're in such a different place now because it, it, it's my opinion that your that your uh, high school athletes now have probably better strength and conditioning programs that professional athletes did 30 years ago. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny like a lot of the guys they uh they go off to college and they come back and like all their numbers are down a little bit, and it's uh, yeah we do some pretty progressive and like aggressive training. Obviously, smart aggressive training like while we're in here. Uh, yeah, it's uh yeah the the world of strength and conditioning is constantly evolving, and yeah the stuff that we do now like the stuff that high school kids are doing is more advanced than what some yeah big time like college programs are doing right now. Fitness is having the ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. If you want to learn more about exercise, how to design your own workout programs, and how being fit can help you to manage the aging process and enhance your quality of life, then here are a few online education courses for you. Anyone can take these courses to learn more about how exercise affects your body, and fitness professionals can earn continuing education credits for ACE, AFA, and NASM. Dynamic Anatomy will teach you how your muscles and fascia work together to move your body so you can identify the best exercises for your goals. Dynamic Anatomy will teach you more about how specific muscles in your body function when you move. The course is approved for two continuing education credits for ACE, AFA, and NASM. The online course is $29. The ebook itself is only $7. The Total Body Core Training online course teaches you how to design workouts that can produce a fitter, healthier, stronger body capable of doing all of your favorite activities. Total Body Core Training teaches six specific phases of exercise and gives you workout solutions that will keep you moving for an entire year. The online course is $67 and is approved for continuing education credits 0.4 for ACE, 0.5 for NASM, and 5 for AFA. The Functional Core Training eBook itself 
is only $7. Finally, exercise program design for the Fountain of Youth online course teaches the science of how endurance, strength training, and explosive power exercises can not only give you a strong, healthy body, but could actually help slow down the effects of the aging process so that you can find your fountain of youth and extend your lifespan. The online course is $49 and is approved for 0.3 ACECs, 0.4 NASM CECs, and 4 AFA CECs. The ebook itself, which just gives an overview of the science, is available for only $7. Being fit means that you have choices for how you can live your life. Fitness is freedom. Each of these resources is created to help you learn how to use exercise and fitness to enhance your quality of life and extend your lifespan. The information is below in the show notes or at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Now let's get back to the interview. Hey, and one of the things I want to ask you about, because when I was doing a little bit of work with you last year, emphasis on little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. last year, no, but um, you use a method called the conjugated method. Totally, and so yeah. I, I had to go back and research that a little bit because I'm like, yeah. okay, what, and, what is this? and then as I read through it, I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't realize that that, that approach to training had that name. Yeah. So what is, you use that method with your athletes, yep. Just describe the conjugated method a little bit and, and like what it is and what the benefits are. Yeah, so uh, the conjugate method in, uh, in like, in the U.S. today is primarily, uh, uh, Louis Simmons did a great job of explaining it over at Westside Barbell. He, uh, he explains it as like a, a dynamic effort day, a max effort day, and uh, like a repetition method. So having different days broke up. So a maximal effort day, you're really pushing like high load, like high high strength. And then the dynamic effort day is like a higher speed day using different types of accommodating resistance. And then the repetition method is kind of like worked in between uh, on those days, which is like another way to, yeah, another way to just structure sets and reps. Uh, but like if you like go back in history, like to conjugate something means like things just build upon, upon the next and things are kind of just working together. Uh, so here in the States, the conjugate method is seen as like you're using your dynamic effort, your strength, your uh, max effort, and like the repetition method in order to work together to build like a, a more robust athlete. Uh, but if you like go back to uh, yeah, the works of like Yuri Verkashansky, he, he uses it or he explains it in a way where it's like, yeah, you're one training block built upon the next, built upon the next, built upon, built upon the next in order to yeah, reach whatever the final goal is for that athlete. And that's what I thought was so interesting because... I think so often people look at strength and power as separate things, and they oh, might yeah, not no. do the. So basically, you'll have, and I just heard you talk to somebody before we hit record. So basically, you might have somebody do a strength workout one day, like a lower body strength yep. one day, and then do an upper body power the next. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the way we structure things in here, so depending on the time of the year, we uh, so if strength is like the limiting factor, or if we really need to push power output, or we're at, if we're at a time of the year where I can dump more stress into a kid and not really have to worry about what's going on like on the field. Yeah, we'll have like a max effort day, lower body where he's pretty much working to a one or three or at max of some sort of squat variation uh, using different bars, different types of like methods of load. Uh, then so he'll have a max effort upper body day, max effort lower body day, and then two other days during the weeks he'll have his dynamic effort day where he's working through waves of 45, 50, 55% of his one rep max on the squat or bench. Uh, yeah, he'll be doing eight sets of three, limited time between each set. Uh, yeah, so we can, yeah, we kind of structure things like that, which is kind of like the classic uh, conjugate method here right now in the States. 
And, and so how often do you have somebody, how often would you have like an 18, 20 year old kid do a max effort day? Whether, whether just say upper body max effort. Yeah, I say a lot of it depends on like the training age of the athlete himself, like his competency within the movement or within like the squat movement, within the bench movement or whatever mode of, of lower body training or upper body training that we're doing for that day. Uh, yeah, a lot of it kind of just varies on, yeah, the athlete. Like we just, a lot of the kids that, so some of the college guys that have been training now throughout the entire year because of COVID, like we've been able to really push some higher loads with kids. Uh, so yeah, they've, yeah, we've spent six weeks recently going through, yeah, more like a pure West Side barbell conjugate method of training. It, it, I just think it, and so what I think is fascinating and I, I want listeners to kind of hear is there's a lot of thought that goes into oh, totally, you're not yeah. just having you're not just having athletes come in the weight room and pump iron. Yeah, you're no. having them. You know, you're having them. There is a method and there's systematic planning. Totally. Yeah. There. Uh, I mean, ultimately, when it comes to working with athletes or just working with anybody in period, anybody period, there's an end goal that they want to achieve. Uh, for an athlete, it's it tends to be like, like let's say if it's summertime or if it's like uh, winter break. We know we have six weeks in order to get this kid stronger and more powerful. So when or stronger, more powerful, and moving better. So when it comes to them going off to college for their spring season, they're primed and, yeah, they're ready to go. Interesting. And, and do you have do you have kids that play sports all year round? I mean, how do you train? How do you get strength and conditioning? Because I think, you know, some some kids, looking at a high school player, they might play fall ball. They might yep. be in a club, club team for fall ball. They might have a little break in the winter. Then they start their high school season. And then they might have a week or two off. Then they're in the, the tournament season yeah, totally. in the summer. So how do you plan? Number one, let me ask you this: In your opinion, Ooh. in your opinion, and you're you're a very educated opinion, should a, a high school baseball player be playing baseball all year round? Uh, I think in the current landscape, at least here in Southern California, like a lot of kids do play all year round, and for some they feel like they need to, but they don't necessarily have to. A lot of it, well, some of it also depends on like the the current caliber of the athlete as well, like. If you're a junior or a senior in high school and you haven't really been picked up by, or you haven't really had a lot of looks from a lot of colleges yet, but you're, you've grown as an athlete and you feel like you have the ability to get picked up by a college, you probably need to play more baseball so you can get seen by more coaches. Uh, but if you're like a sophomore in high school and you're already committed to like a big time D1 program, you're probably better off just yeah taking time off here and there so you can become a better athlete and you can stay, you can become a more resilient athlete and clean up certain movement qualities that might down the road hinder your ability to, or yeah, clean up certain movement qualities that will force you down the road to actually have to take a break. Or take dance classes. Or take dance classes. But I mean, but yeah, to totally, back yeah. to that, but 100%. It, it's movement. It's, it's movement yeah. within the, I, I, I'm still stuck on that. Yeah, I, and it's, I, yeah. I, I still. Even no. like younger kids that are like great baseball players or great athletes in general, they're all phenomenal dancers. And then along the same lines, because a lot of people I think that listen to the podcast have kids that are probably playing sports. Yeah. And so since you've helped a lot of kids transition from high school and club to earning money playing a sport they love, at what age, I think you have some good input on this, at what age should a kid start specializing? Again, in your opinion, and there are varying factors because some kids are, some kids would need to work up. Yeah. They, they might have the drive to work up. Let's use Julian Edelman, for example. I know you do yeah. primarily baseball. Yep. But he came out. He wasn't. He was. He came out of what a, a second tier D one school. Yeah. And wasn't projected to do much in the pros. And he had a stellar career because he yeah, worked totally. his tail off. But yeah. in your opinion, at what age should a kid maybe specialize on one sport 
instead of playing two or three different sports. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of that comes down to like the sport that the kid is actually playing. Uh, like some sports are obviously a lot more skill based than others. Uh, so you have to kind of refine the skills in order to keep up with the current like athletic landscape. Uh, but I would say a fr as a freshman in high school, like if you're a baseball player, you can specialize freshman year of high school. Uh, but it obviously continues to help if you play like multiple sports along the way. Uh, yeah, there's so many factors that go into it. Like if you're a phenomenal mover and you specialize in baseball at, as a freshman in high school, you'll probably you, you'll probably be able to make it through your entire high school career, college career, without much of an issue. Uh, but that could lead to issues down the road. Uh, like everybody knows, like Jake Degrom, he's a the stud pitcher for the Mets. Like he was a shortstop in college, and now he's hands down the best pitcher in the MLB. Uh, but yeah, he spent all that time not not specializing in pitching, and now he's yeah phenomenal pitcher. Uh, I feel like football players can play multiple sports all year round. Uh, but yeah, the within the world of baseball, it's there's so many skills that have to be refined that in order to keep up with the the kind of the global landscape of baseball, like they have to be continuing to develop these skills. I think I think the the hard part is a lot of kids here in the states they play baseball all year round with uniforms on, uh, whereas kids in other parts of the country or other parts of the world they're not necessarily playing games all year round. They're playing baseball all year round, but they're developing the skills that are involved to become better baseball players rather than just purely playing baseball. So do you think, on that note, I had this conversation with a woman named Katie Bowman who writes a lot about general movement, and we're talking about how a lot of kids, kids these days don't seem to play that many pickup games. Oh, no, never. Do you think it would help like kids that are maybe 13 to 15 years old just to play pickup baseball. Oh, 100%. just to get just get thirty kids, get fifteen kids together. I guess you would need at least twenty kids. You get at least twenty, twenty-five kids together and just play pickup baseball. Do you totally. think that would help that help their skills? Yeah, I think it would be it would help their skills, but I think it would also like maintain their love of the game. Like a lot of times, like you see kids get burnt out from playing sports, and sometimes parents put a lot of like undue pressure on kids because they want their kids to be successful. Sometimes more than the kid wants to be successful. Uh, so yeah, I think if kids can still go out there and play pickup games and go out there and have fun with their friends, uh, but yeah, the, the practice schedule and kids have like pitching coaches, hitting coaches, club team, high school team and rec and they have, I feel like that takes the fun out of the game for them and they just can't be kids. Well, I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. Cause if you, if, cause you work with a lot of 15, 16 year olds. Yep. So if a 15, 16 year old is in school, theoretically, this is a different time right yeah, now. Different but if, if, if a kid is in school at 15, 16 years old. He could have a pitching coach. He could have a hitting coach. Totally. He could come to you two days a week yeah. for a strength. Wow. I didn't, you know, it's kind of, but you just think about that again. Oh, go totally. back to that conversation to even when you're in high school, which was what, late 90s, early 2000s? No, not that old. No, 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 but no, but I mean. 2005, I graduated high school. No, but, but, but the point is, I mean, in, in, when you're in high school in the early 2000s, and I'm not, I'm not making yeah, a lot of that, know, but I'm just, when you're in high school in the early 2000s, did you know anybody? Because I think you played high school ball. Oh, I didn't right? know anybody like that. Did you know anybody that had a private pitching coach? No, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I actually never played baseball. Like, baseball is something I. Worked my way into because of being a javelin thrower, uh, but even still, like my friends, I played baseball. But you were a quarterback, weren't you? Yeah, I was quarterback, okay. and yeah, yeah. So always, yeah. I didn't know if kids had like kids didn't have quarterback coaches, kids didn't have like hitting coaches, or kids didn't have pitching coaches. It was yeah, you would play. Kids would play baseball in the fall with like the rec league, and then they would play high school baseball. And only like the the really good kids would go and play like 
randomly they were playing a showcase, but it was it's nothing at all like it is. And, and that's what I mean. Just in 15 years, we've had oh, that evolution of totally. Because I would think where you grew, because you grew up in Tom's River, no, no, like Richfield, New Jersey. Okay, so you grew up in Richfield. Okay, I've, I've met a number of people from Tom's River. For yeah, some reason. yeah, yeah. they <laughs> actually won the Little League World Series. Okay, but yeah. I didn't know if you're if you're one of them. But if you think about that, because that shows the evolution of we understand that 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 coaching can help make kids better. But at what point is it too much? At what yeah, point? Totally. I mean, because I'm thinking I I would be concerned that if a parent's taking a 13, 14 year old to like a pitching coach or hitting coach. Now, a 16, 17 year old with a, with a legitimate legitimate shot of earning a scholarship doesn't really bother me. I think that's that's an appropriate thing to do. Yeah. But at 13, 14, I'd be like, yeah, you're better off having them play a different sport. I would think it would oh, be my opinion at that. Totally. Age. Yeah. I think. Uh, well, yeah. You play a different sport, especially if you're if you're the kind of kid that you might not be like a stud on the baseball field right now. Like play different sports, like explore different sports and see what works best for your body or, or what works best for your like neurology or your like your ability to move. Um, but kind of like at the same time, if you're like that 13 or 14 year old kid and you love baseball, but you're not the best baseball player in the world, and you're gonna you're gonna play on that club team, you're gonna play on the high school team, you're gonna play as much as you can. Like working with like a throwing coach or like a pitching coach or a hitting coach at that time can clean up movement mechanics or throwing mechanics which then allow you to yeah, which then prolong your ability to play a sport and I guess there's a huge difference there yeah. between a kid saying I want a, a kid coming to his parents and saying you know what I think I can get better I think there's something I can be doing better or my coach says if I do this work yeah. I have a better chance totally. there's a, I think there's a huge difference yeah. if a kid says hey I might need help then a parent saying hey guess what you're scheduled every now and for the next five Tuesdays at 5.15, you're meeting with a hitting coach. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, letting a kid make his decision, or his or her decision, rather than like the parent making the decision for them. Like, a common, like uh, I have a, so a two-and-a-half-year-old right now. Uh, people are always asking me, they're like, oh, what sports are you going to make him play? I'm like, I'm not going to make him play anything. Like, if he wants to play soccer, he'll play soccer. If he wants to play baseball, he'll play baseball. If it's football, like, whatever it is that he wants to play, like, let him choose the path that his career takes rather than forcing him to go down a certain rabbit hole because this is what I want him to well, do. Well, I'll tell you right now, Bobby, if I could do it, I'd buy futures in your kid. I don't oh, know, I don't yeah, know what sport. Yeah. If I could buy like a future, <laughs> if I could buy, if you could buy futures, like a futures option <laughs> yeah. in like professional athletes, like for, for potential earnings, going to get a portion back. Yeah. There, there might be a market there. In all honesty, there, for parents out there that need money to pay for people like you, they might want to sell options. Yeah, like, other hey, kids. Yeah. yeah, hey, you get get five percent of future pro earnings. Yeah. There might, we might have to talk offline about that. <laughs> That'd be fun. But but in all honesty, what you know, when I've been in the studio and I've seen little Bobby here, the dude is moving well because oh, totally. you let him climb. How important is it just to let younger kids for any parents out there that might have younger kids or might be pregnant now, how important is it just to let kids play? Just oh, to let kids it climb. Is. I mean, like, I mean, like people of all ages, like, yeah, let them go out there and play. But like, yeah, my son's two and a half, and like, I'll challenge him to like jump on things, jump off things, like climb on things, and and kind of let him figure out the way to get things done rather than like forcing his hand to. Oh, you want to climb the street here? Let me force you up there. Like, no, like, let your brain figure it out, piece it together, and do what it's comfortable doing rather than yeah, like you're letting kids play, and like he people are asking like, oh, when is he gonna start lifting? Like. He's already messing around, like picking up like med balls and everything like that. So technically, he's already like started lifting. Uh, but it's like I don't know, kids just have fun and go out and play and yeah. Yeah, when I had my garage gym uh, downtown, oh yeah, the, my girls would do that. And and Parker's almost nine now, and we don't obviously in the last year we haven't had her in, in sports. 
but I'm trying to get her into um into I want to get her to try parkour. Oh, but yeah, also totally. I want to get her into like the Ninja Warrior. Yeah, like, that'd be climbing. so much fun. Because the problem I have is sometimes we go out. She wants to climb trees. Yeah, and she's such a good climber. I'm like, yeah, not so hot. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I have something I call Daddy Dangerous. So I'm like, <laughs> hey, that, that's getting a little Daddy Dangerous now because you know, Mommy Dangerous is anything more than two feet off the ground. Yeah, of course. But Daddy Dangerous is like, ooh, uh, yeah, look, this could hurt if you fall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to spend the rest of the afternoon in no. urgent care. Yeah. So let's shift gears just a little bit. Um, then you get you get you back to your work. Uh, when you look at you, you do a lot of high intensity training with your kids. Yeah, totally. What type of recovery protocols? And then I didn't realize you had a, a, a dual masters with nutrition as yeah. well. But let's talk recovery first, and I'll talk, ask a little bit about nutrition. Yeah. But recovery protocols that you use if you're doing this high intensity training, is it necessary for kids who are 17, 18 years old? And if so, like what's your what are your recommendations? Yeah, obviously, like recovery is such a big component of training. Like if you're not recovered, then yeah, your your risk of injury obviously goes up. Your training goes down, and you're kind of just turning your wheels in mud without actually getting anywhere. Uh, the biggest thing that we do, like we talk nutrition all the time with kids. Uh, biggest thing that I see with a lot of the kids today, they just don't eat enough. Uh, it could be like a Southern California thing just because kids are so much more active out here than they are in other parts of the country. Uh, and then just trying to get kids to actually go to sleep at a decent time. Like it's so easy to the, today for kids to just sit on their phone on Netflix and just pop on Netflix until two o'clock in the morning and then they show up the next morning or the next day like oh how long did you sleep for last night it's like oh I got five hours of sleep it's like all right like talk sleep hygiene talk nutrition and when it comes to training here we use a velocity-based training which helps us regulate load based on the current training status of the athlete uh yeah so between like velocity-based training and just having those talks of nutrition and yeah telling kids go for a walk or hop on the assault bike for like 20 minutes and just low intensity aerobic exercise those little things can play like big dividends when it comes to yeah actual recovery well and has, but your whole method of, of program design the conjugated method where you alternate between strength and power yep. and dynamic load in essence is based on optimal recovery yeah so, totally yeah you have to be able to recover in order to to train well, Wait. also, you do, like, an upper body day one day oh. and a lower body day the other day, too, right? Yeah, so, like, when, I mean, yeah, when a kid, if kids are training four days a week, we'll have an upper day, a lower day, upper day, lower day. Uh, we tend to have lower days on Monday, and then, because everybody likes li lifting upper on a Friday, and by Friday, if you've already lifted three days, you're a little bit more fatigued than if you were, yeah, so we keep, up, like, lower days earlier in the week and upper days, yeah, second uh, but yeah, yeah, having the the time between or having the forty eight or seventy two hours between lifts is tends to be beneficial when it comes to getting kids prepared to train. And and with a with a kid, is it would your your preference be they get like a seven eight hours of sleep, or what do you think is more is more important for a kid that's trying to add mass and get stronger and grow muscle? Would it be getting more sleep? Or would it be having uh, better quality nutrition, be having a more appropriate nutrition? Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, they're both so incredibly important. Uh, if you know, like, kids aren't going to sleep enough, like, if it's completely out of your hands, like, do whatever you can in order to get kids to eat enough. Because uh, you're not going to be able to put on any weight if you're in a caloric deficit. It's, yeah, it's like, simple, like, idea of, like, equilibrium. Uh, you got to take more, take in more in order to actually gain weight. Uh, yeah, most people, like, grossly underestimate how much... Uh, most kids grossly underestimate how much they eat to begin with. Uh, yeah, so if it's a kid that needs to put on weight and recover more, you just yeah, sit down. Like we go through like a three-day like dietary recall, and 
make sure like you're hammering out the details of what they ate and then you can quickly put it inside of an app and you're like, look, you're actually eating 1300 calories a day and there are simple formulas to see how many calories are recommended for a kid and a lot of times kids are like 13, 14, 1500 calories short of where they should be. So it's, if you know you're going to get bad sleep, you do your best to yeah, get enough calories in to continue to recover. Because that's important. I mean, people don't realize how that all plays out. And do you think, because we are in San Diego, have you experienced kids and even got, even boys too yeah. with like body, body image issues? Oh, because totally. I mean, where we are, I mean, I mean, you're, the beach is three miles yeah. to west of, of where your studio is. Yeah. And and because your goal is, is focused on performance, how often do you have to coach kids to say, okay, we're not going to do curls, we're not going to yell. Oh, I mean, totally. you, you do a little bit of that, but yeah, but totally, you know yeah. what I'm talking about. It's like how how do you kind of get kids away from focused on the mirror and to get them where you want them to focus on, which is their performance. Yeah, I think uh, part of what helps kids with that is like when they see. The professional athletes that are in here. Uh, if you look at like a professional baseball players, guys that are in AAA, AA, and in the daily in the big leagues, they're they're not these like shredded guys like walking in and out of the gym. Like there are some kids that are in here that are like like people are like holy cow, that kid's shredded. Uh, but the big leaguers are like, yeah, that's not a big league body. Like you can, yeah, there, yeah, there's such a difference between like performance based training and like training to look good obviously we'll let guys like get after it if they want to crush like arms or buy the tries yeah you can is that do you use that as a reward do you use that as an incentive to oh, say hey i'll give sometimes. you an arm blaster if you give me a good week if you give me a good workout you'll walk out of here with you'll we'll blow out your guns to what yeah I, uh no i would say i don't really use it as incentive like uh i'm very much like on top of a ki- like uh the kids in order to train hard while they're here to begin with uh, so if they're like sandbagging during their squats, like um, up their ass, like making sure that they're training harder. Uh, but it's one of those things where like, hey, if you like, I'll like give them some insight as to, like what they should do, buys and tries wise, or I'll like give them more freedom when it comes to doing that stuff if they've crushed their lift. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's yeah, it's I don't know, it's fun, man. And then then getting ready to wrap it up here. You, I see sometimes you have competitions here. Like, you oh, totally. have kids jump, jump, and you have kids sprint against oh, each totally, other. Yeah. How important is that to, to keep your to, to keep your kids engaged in a training program? How important is it to kind of build in some competition? Yeah, so we, uh, I mean, here at the gym, we have like a massive record board that like tracks so many different like bench press, squat, deadlifting, like sprint, jump, jump, like so many different like training variables. Uh, yeah, so competition is what drives athletes to be better like we use a ton of objective feedback in here uh so feedback that is it's not i'm not telling them they're doing a good or a bad job it's like there's like an inanimate object that's telling them like their sprint time their jump performance and like getting kids to compete with each other through these different versions of objective feedback giving them like that that instant reward it's it's so, so important. It gets kids training at a higher level consistently. Well, when I was in here last year watching some of your pro guys get warmed up or go, some of your pro guys go oh, through yeah. a jump day, it's well, so fun. I mean, it's like all of a sudden you, you get that yeah, little competition 100%. thing and they're just like, you got to like pull it back a little bit, right? Oh, uh, yeah. At times you pull it back. Like, uh, but yeah, we let, I mean, kind of like talk shit to each other and get guys fired up. And yeah, sometimes we have to throttle it back if like movement is all of a sudden like terribly compromised. Uh, but oftentimes when it comes to even like being in sport, like if guys are getting after it, guys are going to get after it. Uh, yeah. So we kind of just let them go have fun. And yeah, the moment you get that competitive atmosphere, you, you get that extra energy going, like performance really starts taking off and the benefit that the guys then get from training, it just 
absolutely explodes because they're yeah they're within that environment. And now for your workouts, like what do you how do you structure your workouts? Oh. Do you follow a similar plan to your athletes or like how do you? Yeah, so uh, it de- for me, my training is dependent on like life in a sense. Uh, like I'm a huge meathead. I love lifting heavy still. Uh, yeah, so like I'll have if I have like a solid 12 weeks of training, I'll have I'll pretty much put myself through like a conjugate method of training where I'll have like a, a max effort bench day, and then I'll have my yeah 12 weeks of speed bench. Uh, yeah, and then. Yeah, so if I have time to train, I'll do that. Actually, let me ask you about that because this is something that that I've been writing about recently, and I put in my in my in, in Ageless Intensity, my new book. Plug, plug. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, but in all honesty, because what I write about Bobby is everybody out there has busy work times. Like oh, yeah. You, you could have your budget season. You could have you're trying to close out a quarter. You, you know, everybody gets has busy periods at work, and then people also have slower periods at work where they have more time. When do you structure your training, your workouts around like when all your ba- you, like when you're going to be because like during the winter when yeah. all your pro guys are here, you're My training busier. sucks. And yeah. then during the summer when you have summer league going on, you're probably you're running around like with a you know a cat chase or dog yeah. chasing yep. his tail. Yep. So are you able to you kind of structure that where you know you're going to be busy, so you kind of do lower intensity work when you're busy, and then when you're not as busy is when you structure a really kind of hard hard program. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not good at doing lower intensity work. Uh, my <laughs> brain doesn't really work like that. Uh, but I'll like choose different, like I need to squat more. So I'll have like a back squat day. And I, for me, it's hard to back squat twice in the same week. If I'm benching hard twice in the same week, just because of the amount of extension that my spine falls into. Uh, so I'll have like a, a hard back squat day and then I'll have a front squat day. Uh, so yeah, I, yeah, when things are busier in here, I do a better job of like giving myself an hour to train. So things are more structured. Uh, this is kind of like a transitional time of the year where kids are in, yeah, high school seasons are actually going on right now. Uh, so since there's more freedom, uh, my brain gets a little bit more distracted and my training gets a little less structured. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, yes, yeah, I wish it was, yeah, sometimes like I could get like good lower body lifts in right now. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, there are certain times of the year where I can definitely train harder. Winter break, I absolutely get crushed and all my numbers drop or Obviously, I have a kid. Your numbers get crushed. Uh, but yeah, this time of the year, winter time to the beginning of the spring, for some reason, I have a bigger drive to train lower body harder. Uh, but yeah, but I always love benching heavy. Interesting. Okay, and what's like your go-to? Like if you're if if you're gonna do a good workout that gets you pumped, what's, oh. your, what's your go-to? Yeah. So uh, recently, I've been loving uh, the rep scheme of I hit four sets of four on the bench or squat, and then a heavy set of two to finish. Uh, I've been loving that lately, but I, for me, I love a heavy like max every day on the bench press, whether it's a two board, three board, band accelerated, band resisted, with or without chains. And then I always follow that up with like higher volume close grip bench press. So five sets of eight, 30 seconds between each set, uh, classic like west side barbell, like upper body split day, and then just crush heavy rows. And Well, I forgot to ask about that real quick because you use accommodating resistance is using chains, right? Yeah, and chains, bands. bands and, and, yep. and how how important is that to every now and then use chains and bands? Because what is the benefit, like, let's go with a band. Like, what's the benefit of a band, like a banded squat or a yeah. banded deadlift? Yeah, so uh, we use it, I mean, we go through bands in here all the time. Like, thank the Lord for Elite FTS because we order so many bands from them. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, weekly, hourly, they're always getting used in here. So accommodating resistance with bands or chains, it's, it's all based on, like, strength curves. So at certain parts in a range of motion, you're stronger. Certain parts of the range of motion, you're weaker. So, like, you go to a commercial gym, you see a guy 
crushing quarter squats with, I don't know, 500 pounds. You ask him to squat anywhere close to parallel, and he's getting buried by 405. Uh, so the bands or the chains play into that. Obviously, when you're getting to the top of your squat or the top of your bench, the chains reload onto the bar, or the band tension increases. Uh, so you're getting constant push into varying loads uh, throughout the range of motion. Uh, but then at the same time, well, specifically with bands, they force more speed into the bar, so they improve the kinetic or the potential energy of the bar. So forced greater speed down means greater speeds on the way up. Then varying band detention, varying band tension increases that speed on the bar even more. So if we have a kid hex with or without bands, or squat or bench with or without bands, uh, most of the time the the numbers, so tracking using velocity-based training using uh, the gym where the speeds with the chain, the speeds with the the bands are going to be higher than if there were no bands at all. Uh, squatting or benching with chains like that kind of outlier there, like chains kind of slow down speed of the bar, but yeah, the the bands just speed everything up and then power output shoots through the roof for all these kids. So then bands and chains become an important part of what the athletic oh, development. Like it massive absolutely massive part yeah of what we do here uh but obviously it's all like timed at the right time like like you, right now like a lot of the kids are going through a, a higher force training block so we're using a lot of like a accentuated eccentric training so using weight releasers and things to really overload the eccentric part of a squat or up a bench uh but yeah after going through times of generating or withstanding or generating more force then you start getting these kids to more speed-based stuff and all of a sudden, their their speed numbers are shooting up, and their power numbers are shooting up. And then the last thing to ask you about is your approach to teaching movement. Oh I know yeah. You use DNS. Yep. So you don't just take a kid, a fifteen year old kid, and you start throwing load on. Oh hell no! Right away. Yeah, no way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, that no, not, no, no, that, no, that no. A, that, that, uh, so what is DNS, and then what do you try to do before you you have anybody, kid or otherwise, load up? What yeah. do you have them do? Yeah. So DNS is uh, stands for dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. Uh, it's this way of, so as a, from the time, it's all on based on like developmental kinesiology. So the moment a baby's born, there are specific, uh, positions that baby spends time in to set ideal co-activation of certain joints in order to set ideal patterns to eventually develop the ability to crawl, squat, and then walk from there. Uh, yeah, so DNS as a strength coach, it, so DNS does a phenomenal job of showing what ideal joint positions are. So a kid comes in day one for the assessment, and as they're going through assessment, uh, we look at like how they load foot, knee, hip, spine, shoulder, wrist, hand, finger. Like there is so many little intricacies with ideal joint positioning that we look at. Uh, yeah. So based on how a kid moves during his assessment, there are specific developmental positions that we'll have them spend time in in order to clean up the specific patterns that they might be lacking in or that they're they're not able to maintain ideal joint positions through. Uh, yeah, so we clean up all these joint positions and get kids to understand and feel how things are supposed to load, and then, yeah, kids get into the squatting from there. So, no, I just think that's important that you, you have that thought and you have oh. that approach that people understand yeah. that. You're not just 100%. loading for the sake of loading. Yeah. There, no, there like, is a method to the madness. Yeah, we, uh, the cool thing about, like, DNS, like, you get a kid, you watch a kid squat, and you see that he's shifting to his left side, and you see, like, slight valgus collapse in his foot and in his knee, and you see flexion through, like, the left side of his lower back. You can quickly get him in, like, a specific DNS position, Things kind of get rewired neurologically, and then you have them go squat again under that same load, and instantly that pattern's better. Uh, so it's yeah, it's pretty powerful when it comes to like actually like rewiring 
like yeah, like neurologically, like how kids are loading and how kids are like patterning. They have the specific movements. And how awesome because you just had your second kid, and we were talking oh, about totally. this before we didn't record. Because I have to tell you, with both my kids, it was fascinating to watch them move. And with my younger daughter, what I would do, Bobby, her core training was anytime she'd be crawling around. My younger daughter was always very kinetic, was always in yep. motion. I would pick her up and put her on her back when yeah. she's like maybe six, eight, nine months old. And that was her core training. Yeah, Because immediately, yeah. immediately she would flip over. Immediately she would flip over. Oh, totally. And yeah. I was just like, there'd be times where she'd get mad at me because I'd like pick her up, put her on her back. But what I was trying to do was I was trying to help her with her coordination. Oh, totally. So that way she got better. At, do you kind of do the same thing? Have you done? Yeah. I, admittedly. I mean, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, when my son was like first born, he was like, uh, like watching him, like when he first started to like walk or run, like you see he was like, shifting towards one side like when he was a little kid he would tend to roll over towards one side so i would sometimes put him in positions that would force him to roll over to the other side so he had uh yeah better loading through both sides and even like watching him now as he he's starting to throw overhead but i've i work with a lot of throwing athletes overhead athletes so it's it's interesting to see like how he got developed the ability to throw overhead like at first all of his throwing was like at his side and slowly over his he's two and a half now his arm is starting to work his way overhead but it, yeah literally started next to his side when he was throwing then it was like 90 degrees and now he's starting to get yeah overhead so it's yeah it's so cool having like this um before having kids that have an understanding of how kids develop the ability to move and then you see a kid and yeah you can play around with your kid and you can continually learn from from your kid which is yeah, and that's been the amazing thing. Yeah, how can people find out about more uh, more about One RM Performance and kind of because you guys, it's it's an unassuming little studio. Yeah, you totally, guys yeah. make, make huge things happen. Yeah, here. and if people are interested in finding out more about what you do, because you do write and you do post blogs on your website, yeah. right? And you do you post a lot of stuff on your Instagram. Yeah, and that's why I follow you and I see some of the cool stuff you're doing. So yeah. how can people find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, so uh, you can follow us on. So we have a, an Instagram, it's 1RM Performance, or you could follow me directly at like Bobby underscore 1RM Performance. Uh, but then we have our website is 1RMPerformance.com, and we have a YouTube page that's 1RM Performance. Uh, yeah, we can just honestly, you can shoot me a message on like Facebook or Instagram, and I love having conversations with people and kind of talking about what we do in here. Kind of like what you just said, Pete, we're a, we're a small gym, but we make some pretty incredible things happen, and yeah, we're kind of like underground and do some like like really progressive stuff and it's yeah it's pretty fun man well you guys got yeah. a great community here so i appreciate your time man i appreciate it pete that was a fun conversation i say that a lot but look selfishly i enjoy these conversations because i enjoy geeking out about fitness and strength and conditioning and i really enjoyed that conversation with bobby because i really I, i've seen bobby go from a student into what he is today and he's a a well-regarded strength coach. He has helped a number of athletes go into into professional leagues. Now, this is one of the few conversations I recorded that I did not do a video for YouTube. As I mentioned, we were at his studio, we were meeting in his office. But what I wish to show you, and actually, if you go to if you go to his if you go to Bobby's Instagram, and there'll be a link down below in the show notes. One of the cool things I really like about his studio is he has all of his athletes bring in the hats from the teams the teams they play on. And what I mean are anytime a kid gets a college scholarship, they put a hat from the college up on the wall. Anytime one of his, his clients gets picked up by a professional team, a hat goes up on the wall. So there's one wall in 1RM that has just, I don't know, dozens of hats on it 
from all of his athletes that have gone to various college teams, professional teams. And he also has, it really, it looks like a really confusing map of the freeway system in, in Southeast Asia. Um, but he has a list there of how all the athletes are related to one another because he's developed his business from referrals. And it's really been, this is, I've wanted to have this conversation with Bobby for a while. One, because I really admire the business that he's created. He really has created a little community there that just, you go in there and you train and you can't help but to train hard because of the people around you. And, and when I go in to work out there from time to time, there might be professional athletes in there. There might be guys my age in there. There might be high school athletes in there, but everybody's there for the same purpose, and that's to get better. And I enjoyed learning about the conjugated method. When I first started doing a little bit of work, training one or two people at the studio, and I saw what Bobby was doing, yeah, I'm a dork. I went back and I, I picked up, I have one of the Westside Barbell Club books. I picked that up. I started doing some reading on the conjugated method, and it works. The other thing that Bobby does is velocity-based training, meaning you heard him talking about measuring speed. You heard him talking about measuring bar speed. He gets metrics to his, he gets metrics to his to his athletes, so he knows whether they're improving, right? And that's the important thing with training. You either get better or you're not. You're you're stagnating or you're getting better. And it's interesting. This is one of those few conversations that I have where Bobby's not selling anything. He's not here promoting anything. He's not doesn't have a book out. He's not trying to get you to buy his coaching program. But I wanted to have this conversation because I wanted you to hear about a method that works. I wanted you to hear about a system of training that produces results. And I wanted you to, to hear from a coach who's doing great things. And, and I mean this. I can't say, I can't speak highly enough of him. And, and Bobby's one of these guys where I know that within a few years, he's going to get picked up by a pro team. Some baseball team will pick him up and make him their director of strength and conditioning. Whether or not he wants to do that, I don't know. But just seeing, the, seeing that what he's done, seeing the community he's created, seeing the business he's built, and seeing the results that he's getting, it wouldn't surprise me if somewhere in the next few years, Bobby gets picked up by a pro team, which is another reason why I wanted to get this interview with him, because who knows when we'll have access to him again, or who knows when I can have access to him again. But anyway, that's where we are. I just wanted to, wanted to hear about something different. This is a very creative method of training. If you want to learn more about it, just do a few searches for the conjugated method. You can find information out there about how to do that. And, and frankly, I, I included some of this in ageless intensity, right? In ageless intensity, I talk about high, how high intensity or high performance training can help us slow down the aging process. And I offer you solutions for how to put together strength and power workouts because the results are there. I mean, look, athletes do strength and power workouts because it adds muscle, makes them more explosive. One of the benefits of strength and power workouts is it increases testosterone production. And increases growth hormone production, even in the later years, even if you're into 40s, 50s, and 60s. Doing heavy lifting, doing explosive movements can change your hormone profile. That, combined with different approaches to nutrition, can really help your body produce the hormones that help you stay younger longer. And that's the whole reason to be listening to all about fitness podcasts, right? Is I'm going to help you learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. And on that note, check out the YouTube channel, the All About Fitness Podcast channel on YouTube. That's All About Fitness Podcast on YouTube. I didn't record this on video, but there are a number of great resources up there. I'm going to be putting more and more stuff up there going forward. And also, I'm going to be putting up the workouts from Smarter Workouts and Ageless Intensity. I'll be recording those over the summer of 2021 and posting those to my YouTube channel. So if you want to see some of the workouts from the books before you buy the books, by all means, do that. You can go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. 
Go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. I'm blogging there. I'm putting a lot of content up on the blog. If you want to learn more about how exercise enhances your quality of life, sign up for my mailing list. I'll send you a chapter from Smarter Workouts along with a bodyweight workout that you can do literally anywhere you take your body. Then I'll send you one or two high-quality emails a month. I really don't want to spam your email box. That's not my style. But I do want to help you learn how to use exercise to achieve your goals and just, like I said, enhance your quality of life. Check out the All About Fitness podcast feed on Instagram. That's All About Fitness podcast on Instagram. And you can always shoot me an email, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's a very tough email to remember, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. And hey, as always, thank you for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.